Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore, where our mission is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Welcome back, podcast listeners. Andrew here, and with me, as always, Dr. Tim Elmore. How are you today, Tim? I'm well. Not always. Almost always. Almost always, yeah. yeah there are other times From we time have to guests. time, we got That's fun right. guests. It's actually been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of guests recently, which has been really cool. But today, I actually want to dig right into it because you and I are going to sit and talk about a topic that I know a lot of teachers, parents, and students, as well as uh, heads of schools and all different kinds of people are asking this question. That is, who is most responsible for student success? And I think uh, this is a, a question that's being asked so often that it's creating tensions between teachers and administrators, between parents and teachers, students, and all these different groups coming together and it just creates challenges. And one probably perfect example of this is a story we came across a few years ago. Yeah, well, part of the challenge is we all answer that question differently. Yeah. The students might answer it differently than mom and dad, who'd answer it differently than the principal, who may answer it differently than the teacher. Yeah. So when we look at research, and we are going to look at some in just a minute, it's, yeah. it, it, we, 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 we have speed bumps at best, hurdles at worst yeah. to jump over in getting yeah. to this answer. So, Andrew, what you're referring to, I think, is Diane Torado's yeah. story. I will never forget, I think, hearing this story for the first time. It was a few years ago. Diane Torado was, at the time, a social studies teacher. She taught eighth grade kids, and I love that subject in yeah, school. Some don't, too. but some do. Anyway, um, when a group of eighth grade students never handed in their last assignment that she had given them... That's a no-no. Yeah, that's right. Um, she ignored the school's policy, which was a no-zero policy, and she gave the students that turned in zero work a zero. Now, that doesn't seem weird to me. No, that seems that's what I got when I was growing yeah. up. Yeah. But she got called out, um, and, and all due respect, by the school administrators, who I'm sure didn't want to hear from mom and dad through an email or a voicemail. I'm or, sure that's where the policy came from. That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So she got let go. Fired. She lost her job because she was not supposed to give anybody lower than a 50, but she said, but they didn't do 50% of the work, yeah. good or bad. They yeah. didn't even turn in any of the work. Wow. Well, so she ends up writing a note on the chalkboard or the whiteboard. Yeah. Uh, Students, I've been let go. Here's why. Please know I love you. But then she signed off, you yeah. know. And I'm thinking, as she's walking out the door, she's going, this is in no way getting them ready for the real world that yeah. awaits them yeah. post-graduation. And think about the message it just sent them. Yeah. yeah. So think about it. Employers listening parents listening or whatever, if anybody has given an assignment and they do zero, uh, you know, th the outcome's not good. How would yeah. your boss react to that? That's right. Yeah. You don't say, well, you get 50% for yeah. thinking that you might do it. You know, that's, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. just, I'm such an old school guy. So um, let me just start by making a huge statement that I think you'll agree with listeners, but I want to test you. I believe responsibility is fundamental for good living. Certainly good leadership, Absolutely. but just to live well. If we never figure it out, if mama has done too much or principal's done too much or my employer's done too much and they want to make it easier for me, we don't really make it easier for them in the long run. I'll give you a good example of how responsibility and ownership plays a key role. There's a great story that's almost 100 years old. In the 1930s, um, moms and housewives were making cakes 
from scratch. Mm-hmm. But it was in that decade that the instant cake mix was created. Which we're very familiar with that, now. That's yeah. right. Yeah, oh, we love them now. Yeah, yeah, we like things quick here, baby. So Betty Crocker, Duncan Hines, you know these names yeah. that still exist, yeah. were offering this powder in a box that allowed anybody that wanted to bake a cake to, you know, just add water and stir, and, you know, you get the cake out of the oven. Well, they were shocked at Betty Crocker that these didn't fly off the shelf, that people just weren't buying these instant cake mixes. They thought, for sure, as we move into a world that values speed and convenience, it wasn't being valued. So they hired um, a, a research psychologist by the name of Ernest Dichter, Uh, who was one of the early pioneers in focus groups, and he sat down, started meeting with groups of mostly women, because women were mostly the ones baking the cakes, but it was not um, relegated to them. And he just asked them why they weren't buying it. And the answer that kept coming up in many words was this. It didn't feel like my cake. Hmm. I didn't really own it. You gave me a powder. I turned on the faucet, stirred it, and then put it in the oven. It didn't feel like mine. And Andrew, you know today what he had to do. He suggested to Betty Crocker, you need to let them do something to feel like it's their cake. And you know what they did. Tell tell, tell what they did. You add an egg and a little... Or two eggs. Or two eggs. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And a little bit of milk sometimes or different yeah, ingredients. Yeah, depending but, on the mix. Yeah. But certainly the, the two egg thing was the beginning. Let's let them add two eggs. And it was just enough. They felt like well, I added my eggs. Yeah, that's you right. Know? I and contributed they it here. together. Yeah. And it, it sounds so interesting and silly almost, but psychologically that had an effect on whether they felt like it was their cake. Yeah. I'm thinking the same things for students. Yeah. If we do so much for them, it's well-intentioned. It feels good in the moment, yeah. but it is not preparing. It's protecting, yeah. and that's not enough. So I guess I just want to ask anybody listening that cares about the next generation, are you just giving them powder and all they got to do is stir it together with some water? It's going to feel like you gave it to them yeah. and they didn't really own it. And until students learn to own what they're doing, any assignment, sports, music, drama, classroom, it's not going to turn, well, turn out well for them. Maybe happy today, they won't be ready tomorrow. Yeah, well said, well said, well said. And in, in short, we all must take responsibility. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, so if, yeah, whether you're in the position of parent, teacher, leader of, of the school, whatever the yeah. context is, we all must take responsibility. So Andrew, I want to toss this back to you. So we have both looked at some very interesting research on this topic. Yeah, People were weighing in on who's responsible for student success. Yeah, it was actually a report we read, one of our colleagues yeah. sent to us just recently, but it came out in December of 21. And it's it actually sparked this entire conversation because I think both you and I were almost shocked at the data and what it showed and how it actually connected with what we believe yeah. about the responsibility that's required. Yeah. So the the study was by Edge Research, came out in December 21, called Going Beyond the Headlines, Responding to What Parents, Teachers, and Principals Really Want. Hmm. And it revealed some startling perspectives when it comes to how each of those groups view student success. So what they did is they researched, uh, they uh, conducted surveys with 1,500 parents, 600 educators and administrators. And some of the kind of high level findings that they found uh, were, first of all, kind of interesting. First of all, uh, they found that parents 
especially post-COVID, are often in the dark about how their students are really doing. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. So one quote they said, even after a year of remote and hybrid learning, where parents are there in the same building with their kids while they're learning, more than 9 in 10 parents, 92%, said that they thought their child was at or above grade level, while only 44% of teachers believe that students were prepared for grade level work. So it was uh, almost a uh, 50% difference there, which is quite uh, fascinating. Further, about 80% of parents said they were confident that their child would be well prepared for entrance into su- and success in college and graduation from high school. Uh, parents said 80%. Teachers said, no, it's more like 50% uh, of teachers thought that their students would be ready. Mm-hmm. So already we're starting off with what, what I think you hinted at. We have different views on this and different beliefs about how ready our kids actually are. Um, remarkably, in these surveys and in others, parents have actually been shown to have grown more confident after the pandemic than they were before the pandemic about their students' academic preparedness, and teachers are actually feeling just the opposite. Opposite, absolutely. Yeah. This is a this is quite alarming to me that we could be on such different pages. Yeah, um, you would think we would be coming together at this point, especially after being all scrunched together during the quarantine. Yeah, but it's not so. Yeah, I think there are a lot of differences of op- of opinion, especially between parents and teachers right now. Yeah, but here's what's really interesting: is the study revealed that there are two massive similarities in what the these two groups of, of folks really want. Um, so the, on two big things, we all agree. When asked, what is the most the most important thing to address when you think about this upcoming school year? The two subjects that rose to the top for all three groups, parents, teachers, and administrators, were this. Number one, the safety of the school building. Interesting. Not too surprising, I think. Number two was addressing students' mental health and emotional well-being. Everybody agreed on those two subjects. Yeah. And so when we realize that we all agree on mental health, emotional well-being, the skills needed to achieve those things all of a sudden become very important. It's yeah. why we're talking so much about life skills and social and emotional skills and all of those things. Yeah. The biggest challenge, the biggest question is we know the students need this. Whose job is it to make sure those needs are met? So the most revealing question of the whole survey is the one that we're talking about today, and that is, who has the greatest responsibility for a child's success in school? So here were the answers. Parents' number one answer was students. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. 55% parents said, it's my, my child. The teacher's number one answer was very fascinating to me. It was the teacher. So 38% of teachers said, it is us, the people in my profession. The principal's number one answer was also teacher. Mm -hmm. So the teachers said themselves, the parents said students, principals said teachers. But here's what's most fascinating. The number two answer for parents and principals were actually themselves. So Mm -hmm. parents' number two answer was parents. Principals' number two answer was principals. And when you examine that, what I think each one of those groups recognize is the role that I play Mm -hmm. is an essential one. Yeah. The role that I play is an essential one. In other words, when we're asking the question, who has the greatest responsibility for success in school, I think all of us naturally, deep down, know the answer is, at least in part, me. If it is to be, it's up to me. That's exactly right. Now, can I volley back real quick? Please. What I find interesting, based on other findings we've made, is that 
will say this on a survey. Yes. But when the chips are down and something goes awry, we want to look outward and we say, want to blame somebody else. Why aren't the teachers doing a better job making my kid yeah. ready for that final exam yeah. or whatever? Yeah. But I, I do think both are happening. I do. Too. I report honestly and probably more accurately on a survey yeah. when I'm you know, together and poised and thoughtful. Yeah, I'm but speaking boy, metaphorically or philosophically, right? But don't you and I hear from educators, man, they, they tear down the walls yeah. getting in the school building wanting us to do something yeah. when their child hasn't done well. Yeah, so I think that the big pull away from these findings is, is for me the recognition that all of us acknowledge what an important job we have yeah. to determine the successful outcome of the kids under our care, whether I'm the parent, the teacher, or the administrator. So in other words, if I am the parent, I need to take responsibility for my role as the parent. If I am the teacher, I need to take responsibility for my role as a teacher. If I am the student, if I am the principal, yep. I yep. need to take responsibility for my role. The best chance of success for students is when all of us take responsibility yeah. and ownership for our part in the path towards student success. Andrew, I the first few years of my life um, was in Indiana, the state of Indiana. My parents and grandparents were both from there. And I remember for years visiting Indiana in a small town just east of Indianapolis. There was a, a, a bridge, a covered bridge over the, over the water. But what I remember about it, it wasn't the, the bridge itself, but it was the fact that a yield sign was posted on one side of that bridge for oncoming traffic. But on the other side, there was also a yield sign. Mm. You both own the safety of this yeah. crossing here. Yeah. And I think that's really what we're saying now. What would happen if the student said, it's up to me, if the parent said, it's up to me, if the teacher yeah. said, it's up to me? Yeah. We might have a, a winning equation here. We will. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I, I think one of the biggest challenges that comes to mind, I think, when people are hearing this data, step one of the answer to this equation is, I need to take responsibility. Yeah. Problem two becomes, yes. what happens if I'm doing my job? But That's the right. teacher, I'm yeah. the parent, but the teacher isn't taking responsibility. Or I'm the teacher, but the parent isn't yeah. taking responsibility. Yeah. And we hear that all the time. They're going, I am trying to own my mm -hmm. part, but how do I get them to own yes, their, their part? part? Well, and may I add one Please. more thing? When we say we all need to take responsibility, we need to go, what does that look like for a parent? It's not do the assignment for them. Yeah. So we need to figure out what does it it responsibility look like yeah. in each category. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're going to lead us a little bit, give us a bit of an, an answer on this. We're going to use uh, a tool that lots of our listeners are familiar with. Uh, it's going to be very practical and very helpful. But before we get there, let's take a quick break. Hey guys, Andrew here. I'd like to talk to you about our curriculum, Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. Growing up in a post-pandemic world means that many students today are facing new challenges and often don't have the social and emotional skills to handle it all. When students possess skills like self-awareness, impulse control, empathy, teamwork, and responsible decision-making, they're prepared to not only survive, but succeed inside and outside of the classroom. Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning comes in both middle school and high school versions and presents a fun, image-based pedagogy designed to delight and challenge your students. Find out more about how you can get Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning to your school by going to growingleaders.com SEL. Okay, Tim, we're back. Um, we're talking about how to motivate ownership, and we want to do our part first. But secondly, we want to ask, how do I motivate ownership in others? And we're going to do it with 
the power of an image, which yes. we believe in deeply. Yeah. Here. So um, metaphors always, t- to me, spark great discussion and learning. We believe for years pictures are worth a thousand words. We've also believed that pictures beat lectures every day. So, yeah, that's the truth. So listeners, I just want you to listen to these, this ha- a handful of, of metaphors that we found helpful on this particular topic uh, of student success. Uh, the first one is one that we've talked about before, but not in depth. And we're going to break it down right now, but it's simply called Three Buckets. Love it. So listeners, in your minds, I want you to picture three buckets sitting on a shelf right next to each other. We have come to believe that everything that happens to us in our life fits into one of three buckets. Here they are. Bucket number one, it's in my control. Bucket number two, it's out of my control. And bucket number three, it's within my influence. And my response needs to be different based on which bucket the experience needs to go in. So if something's in my control, I need to own it. I need to take responsibility. I need to stop blaming or looking to someone else to take the hit. I need to own it. Bucket number two, I need to trust. If it's not in my control, there's nothing that makes me more miserable than to stay up late at night losing sleep because I'm trying to I'm, I'm, a, I'm being a control freak when yeah. I have no control. Yeah. The third one is interesting because things that lie within our influence are really a balance of the first two. I do yeah. take action, but yeah. I can't control it. So I'm responding, et cetera. So um, it might be good for us to take maybe 60 seconds and think, how does three buckets look to parents? How does it look to students? How does it look to, to, to educators? So for students, the three-bucket metaphor means I need to own my assignments. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's a class or a sport or a music or a theater yeah. play, I got to own this. Yeah. And I need to stop looking to mama or Mrs. Jones or Mr. Smith to do it for me. Yeah. I need to own this. Yeah. That would be refreshing for adults to see all those kids, yep. middle school, high school, whatever, to say, I'm going to own yeah. this. I'm going to take the assignments and all yeah. the responsibilities I have and put them in, the, in my control bucket. Got to get it done. That's right. Now, for parents, three buckets means... I need to let go of all the items that should be in bucket two. Yeah. So parents sometimes in well-intentioned behavior, we do too much. We overfunction, psychologists say. We're we're zooming in and rescuing our child at school or demanding my child gets a second chance on that paper or whatever. And that's just not gonna help them own it yeah. themselves. We need yeah. to say, sweetheart to our children, not to the teacher, sweetheart to our children. <laughs> you need to go in and navigate this with your teacher. You yeah. can negotiate yeah. a second try maybe yeah. um, or whatever. Yeah. And for educators, the three bucket means I need to balance all the buckets and recognize that most in my career fit in bucket three. Yeah. I should influence it, but I can't control it. Yeah. And principals, you know the numbers you want to reach, the graduation rates, the GPAs, and all that other stuff. Yep. But I'm telling you, you, you can't. You've got to just somehow trust some things to the process you're in in your school district yep. and let it go. Yeah. yeah, for educators especially, that that balance, that third bucket is the hardest one automatically. But great leaders realize whether I'm in a classroom or I'm over the whole campus, that my job is to create environments and culture yeah. where that great thing could come about. But I'm never going to be able to force a student to turn yeah. in an assignment. I'm just not. Yeah. And so f- finding that balance between controlling what I can control, influencing where I can influence, and letting go where I need to let it go is a big challenge. That's why I love that habitude of three buckets. Yeah. So these are habitudes. I don't know if I made that clear. These are metaphors or images. But listeners, if you, in case you don't know, habitudes are images 
that form leadership habits and attitudes. And we just think three buckets is, it's life-saving for me. Yeah. The second image I want to use to start a conversation for you and your students is one that we call the diamond secret. Now, this is so new, it's not even published yet. Yeah. But it's built off of the notion that um, diamonds very frequently come from coal mines. Yeah. In fact, we sometimes oversimplify and say, oh, yeah, coal becomes diamonds. It's awesome. But that's not true. Yeah. Um, over thousands and thousands of years, when there's that much time and there's the pressure that coal would go through over that period of time, the carbon inside the coal actually moves from mere carbon to a beautiful diamond. Now, it's a diamond in the rough at the beginning, yeah. but it is a diamond, which is extremely valuable. Yeah. Here's my point. I think people are like that. Yeah. I think uh, very often we look at pressure as the enemy. Don't give me pressure. Don't pressure me. Yeah. And I would say, no, pressure's not the problem. It's actually the solution. Yeah. I mean, I do not live my best life unless there is a little pressure on my life. In fact, can I give a zany example? Andrew, picture me. All I do all day long is sit on the sofa eating Cheetos and Fritos, <laughs> and I'm watching big-time wrestling. Sounds like a great life, right? <laughs> For a day. but For a day. Then you look at me getting overweight and yeah. very undisciplined. Of course, that's not the best me yeah. because I need pressure, yeah. and that's no pressure. So, um, listeners, I'm saying the obvious to you, but we need to begin to convince ourselves and our students we actually need pressure. It's part yeah. of the solution. And the difference between pressure becoming stress and pressure becoming success, did you see what I did there? I did see it. Um, is what we do with it. Yeah. If I can see it in a positive light and say, this is yeah. going to make me stronger, kind of like a fitness center. Yeah. Lifting this weight is going to make me stronger. So real quick, for students, this, this metaphor, this habitude means I need to not confuse pressure with stress. Good comes from pressure. Pressure is actually the answer. Yeah. I need to remind myself of that. Yeah. For parents, this means we need to quickly migrate, uh, well, often we quickly migrate to frustration. We just get put out with those kids and yeah. all those teachers. Yeah. We do. Yeah. This is the most frustrated generation of moms and dads I think I've ever seen in my 44-year career. Yeah. The, the impatience on a baseball field, yep. Little League, yep. or peewee football, or Pop Warner, or whatever, and I'm going, we're going ballistic. We need to turn our frustration into patience and I think that's going to help us put pressure to good use. Yeah. Um, it's just what we need to do. We need to model for our kids what pressure looks like in poise. Handled well. That's right. Yeah. And then educators, same thing, I think. We need to show students what responding, not reacting. I, I like that, responding, not reacting uh, to pressure means. If you're at a doctor's office and that doctor says, oh, your body's reacting to the medication. That's not a good thing. Yeah. If he says, oh, you're responding, that's a positive <laughs> thing. So what we want is to make sure we're responding in a positive way. Yeah. And that's the diamond secret. Yeah. The next time a student comes to you and says, man, this is really hard, say, good. Yeah. It should good be. Thing. That's that right. pressure is going to make, make mm -hmm. you better. Yeah. All right. The third metaphor image, habitude image, is one that we've had around since book once. Yeah. Course number one, way back 20 years ago now, I was writing this. It's simply called Drivers and Passengers. And I came up with this as I taught my daughter, Bethany, how to drive. Um, drivers and Passengers is a simple concept. It simply teaches us that we get into a car with a very different mindset based on whether we're the passenger just along for the ride or we're the driver that's got to take that car where it's supposed to go. I think we live our life that way. Yeah. We either move into a passenger mode where we're just looking out the window and 
letting things just happen and then blaming someone else when we didn't get to the destination we wanted to get to or we approach it like a driver. I think we need to teach kids, you're the driver now for your life. I'll be next to you. Yep. I'll even guide you a bit. Yep. But you got to drive that car, your life. I love that. So for students, this means you need to decide <laughs> what you must drive in regard to your own success. Yeah. So that means you need to own it. Yeah. For parents, this means you need to own how you can resource your kids, but let them become resourceful. Yeah. Don't take their life from them, but let yep. them own it. If you keep holding the wheel, they never get to learn to drive. That's exactly right. And some of it, that's quite literal. <laughs> Uh, and then for educators, uh, this may be oversimplifying, but this means you're you're a guide, not a god, in the classroom. Yeah, uh, you let them fail or fumble or yeah. fall, yeah. Uh, not fatally, but yeah. you let them. Ah, I'm so sorry, and even choose their own path. That's sometimes. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we just need to do this better in yeah. this generation. Let the kids start to drive. There's another image now I want to share with you that is also not yet published, but I think it might start some good conversations. It's a fun one. In fact, I know what's going to go through your mind when you hear these two images compared. Candles or brush fires? Mm. Candles and brush fires. Andrew, right now in the news, we're hearing about more fires. Yep. In France and Canada and other places, it's, it seems like every year. California, yeah. there's a fire breaking out. So think about these two flames, the candle and the brush fire. So the candle is a very small flame that with a small breath at birthday time, can be blown out. Yeah, A brush fire not only can withstand that small breath, it actually gets stronger with the wind. Yeah. Okay? So you all know, listeners, if you think about the brush fire, I mean, the stronger the wind, the more it gets bigger, that brush fire even gets bigger. It goes up the coast of California. Yeah. So what we're encouraging is for this metaphor to be an attitude in students, teachers, and parents. We want students not to be a candle that's fragile, but a brush fire that's agile. Yeah. That's exactly what they are. The wind blows, they just keep on going another direction. Yep. But I'm going to keep growing here. Fine, I'll go over here it's then. It's such a good... I need this at my age. Yeah. And I'm old. Yeah. Did I mention that to you? <laughs> so, um, so for students, this means our heart size determines how harsh a wind is going to affect us. Yeah. Just talk to them about this. It, it's not a skill set, it's an attitude. Yeah. Habitudes. This is an this is a attitude. And, yep. and I guess I have it. Yeah. For parents, candles and brush fires means don't yell at the wind. Instead, prepare the child for the path, not the yeah. path for the child. That, yeah. We're always trying to make it easier for them. And I'm going, no, build a strong flame yeah. out of that Let the wind daughter. push them. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And then finally, for educators, it means when policies and expectations come, we need to adjust the sales. Yeah. We need to let our schools foster this growth yeah. and agility. Yeah, love it. All right, so there's one more image that I want to share real quick. Um, it's toll booths or roadblocks. So this is in Habitudes for the Journey. We help mm -hmm. students transition well. Uh, think about it. When you come to a toll booth or you come to a roadblock, what they have in common, you have to stop. Yeah. But the roadblock, you stop, and there's really not another choice. You're kind of stuck yeah. in front of that little fence. All you can do is go backwards, and yeah. that's not a good thing. Toll booths are quite different. You do stop for a moment, but you pay a price, and then you continue to move forward and make progress. I love the idea where we admit we all get stuck at some point. We all have to stop. Yep. Life stops us. Yep. Injuries, bad grades, Stuff we didn't expect. Yeah. That's right. But I'm telling you, for students, this means we face an obstacle. We need to figure out the price we're willing to pay. If a student gets injured playing football or baseball or whatever— Okay, sweetheart, this is a toll booth or roadblock. Yep. 
Uh, for parents, this means letting our kids struggle a little bit because you only make it through the toll booth, life's toll booth, if they struggle a bit. Gotta find pay you the, the price a little Find bit. you the change in their pocket yeah. to pay this price. That's yeah. right. Um, so their answer may not be your answer. Yeah. Okay? And then for educators, this means setting up challenges for our students to face. Don't be afraid to say, I'm going to make this hard. Not too hard, yeah. but hard enough yeah. that you're going to have to struggle to get through this because yeah. you'll thank me when you're 30 years old a lot later. Thank you. Yeah, those are great. So we went through five habitudes, three buckets, the diamond secret, drivers and passengers, canders and brush fires, toll booths and roadblocks, all five incredible metaphors. In fact, you can get access to several of these. I'll tell you how in just a minute. But Tim, I want you to close out. You told me a story. I think I first heard it a couple of years ago that I absolutely love uh, about a CEO who realized ownership was the key to success. He thought it was somebody else's fault, but he realized it was his own. And uh, it's a powerful example of this in practice. I'm guessing many of you listeners have been to a Six Flag um, amusement park. Sometimes they're called theme parks. They have a theme. We have one here in Atlanta. But um, one particular year, this was some years ago, the president of Six Flags kept getting feedback from customers, I guess through email or mail or whatever, that his um, staff on the, on the, at the parks were being rude mm. to the guests. That's not good. Particularly the custodial staff who were trying to clean up the park. They were just mad and frustrated and would sometimes yell at the customers that would spill a drink on the ground or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is not good. You don't want to come to a park and pay money to get yelled at. Yeah. (laughs) So he thought, okay, I'm going to go in and visit and see what's happening. So this is kind of cool. This president, in his own version of Undercover Boss, remember that TV show? Yeah, Secret Shopper or whatever, yeah. He throws on a custodial uniform and a hard hat and gets his broom and pan out, and he begins to pretend he's one of the custodial staff. Well, it didn't take him but half a day to figure out what the problem is. These custodians are frustrated at the customers who are spilling things on the ground or littering or missing the trash Kids can. Kids are or, throwing popcorn. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah. And their job, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's almost like the customer's the enemy. And that was his revelation. He found out, after talking to some of the custodians, they were mad at the customers because they thought their job was to keep the park clean, uh-huh. and obviously the customers were enemies of that because yeah. they were dirtying it up. They're the problem. You know what he did, Andrew? He quickly got out of his uniform, called a meeting for all the theme park staff, and said, men and women, I think I've done you a disservice. You thought your job was to keep the park clean. Your job is to please those guests. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger picture. Now, obviously, they like a clean park, so do that. But you say nice things to Sam. You do. You serve them well. You yeah. serve them well. And I'm saying, thinking, how cool that that leader could have blamed the custodian, saying, "Well, yeah, they are a bunch of boneheads, aren't they?" Yeah. But instead, he said, "You know what? I didn't do my job right. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't own this, and now give you ownership that I share with you." Let's please these people. Let's serve these people well, whatever yeah. that means. Once we know what the main thing is, the mission that we're going out yeah. for, and we orient ourselves around that, taking ownership for what we need to do mm-hmm. next becomes so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, Tim. Well, thank you guys so much for engaging with this topic today. We think it's a really big one. The answer is all of us, right? All of us are responsible for student success. But if you find yourself in a specific context where you're thinking, my students need to take more ownership, but I don't know how to convince them of that. Some of these very images that Tim shared with you, you can actually share those with them. 
Now you can have to start a conversation right now, but if you want the tools to be able to lead these conversations really well, then I want to commend to you our tool Habitudes. If you want to find out more about our program, specifically Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning, which comes in a middle school and high school version, all you got to do is go to growingleaders.com slash SEL, and you can get the tools you'll need to have conversations about how to start taking ownership. Those are really important conversations. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. If you found this particularly helpful and thought of someone to share it with, we invite you to do that. We would also appreciate that. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, people you think we should interview, conversations you think we should have, then shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you so much for challenging us and leading us today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.